Hello, villagers. Before we jump in, we'd like to make you aware of some of the content we're exploring today. In this episode, we're discussing the connections between adventure programs and psychological conditions such as trauma, post-traumatic stress, and childhood adversity. We encourage you to take care of yourself while you take this learning journey with us today. We're thrilled to have you back, villagers. Thank you for once again tuning in to Village Voices, the podcast from Project Emo, where we explore the connections between topics like positive youth development, adventure, community building, and conservation stewardship. My name is Xavier Fowler, and I'll be co-hosting this episode today with Jay Hyland. What's up, Jay? Hey, Xavier. How you doing? Good, good, good. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Damien Grasso. Damien is a licensed clinical psychologist and associate professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine, where he is co-lead the Family Adversity and Resilience Research Program. His research spans the development of validated assessment tools, the study of biological environmental mechanisms associated with stress and trauma, and the development and evaluation of behavioral interventions for trauma-related mental health impairment. You have no idea what any of that stuff means. Tune yet. in. He'll explain it. Damien also created the Youth Excellence Project in 2014. The Youth Excellence Project is a Connecticut-based volunteer-run program that engages male teens in outdoor recreation and mentorship with goals to promote health and build resilience in the face of life challenges. Each year, the YEP hosts a cohort of 10 to 12 youths participating in activities that include hiking, camping, paddling, and other outdoor expeditions. Some of these are day trips, Others involve overnight stays. In the summer, they embark on a multi-day expedition. They also partner with various programs such as Project Demo, that's us, to help provide these amazing and positive mentorship experiences for the teens. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for taking this time with us, Damien. So Damien, the Youth Excellence Project, you all have been doing some tremendous work over the years to help provide teen men with some amazing opportunities for growth. Can you tell us a little bit about the YEP, why you started it, and how you've seen it develop over the years? So thank you. The Youth Excellence Project is for teenagers who are about 12 to 17, and it's for kids who've experienced some significant life challenges, which could be experiences of abuse or adversity, sometimes trauma that can lead to uh, significant mental health issues like post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety. And so we typically have about 10 to 15 youth each year in our cohorts. Some of those youth are, are actually uh, in foster care or who have been adopted from foster care. So uh, really good kids who've had some really tough things happen to them. And in terms of inspiration, I think it's a combination of some of my kind of where my professional career has went, uh, as well as some personal experiences I've had since, um, well, probably before college, but especially college and, and after. So I started YEP in 2014. And at the time, I was an early career faculty member at UConn, where I was starting to launch a, a research program that was really focused on child exposure to adversity and violence, and the consequences of trauma on mental health, including PTSD, and uh, leading up to this, I had done a lot of work with, with youth who have been maltreated, a lot of work with youth in foster care. Actually, my wife and I were foster parents at some point wow. during mm -hmm. while, we were getting, while I was getting my doctoral degree. That was a more personal experience that, that was really eye-opening for me. 
the work I was doing back then, both my clinical work as well as my research made me realize the tremendous damage that child maltreatment and trauma can do, um, uh, especially in terms of its impact on child development and how kids and adolescents learn to function in terms of their social and emotional skills. And the consequences, of course, can have this profound impact that can persist into uh, late adolescence and adulthood. So this, that sounds discouraging, but the silver lining here is that when kids make it to a healthier environment and when they have the right kind of support from other healthy adults and, and peers, the kids are, are very resilient. Uh, and they can make a tremendous recovery from, from these really bad things. Um, and actually, if, if you think about the research, one of the biggest predictors of trauma recovery for both children and adults is having at least one solid support. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually huge literature, including some studies I've contributed to with colleagues showing that social support can buffer the adverse effects of maltreatment and trauma on mental health, as well as biological risk. So if you look at epigenetics, and if you look at um, psychophysiological indicators, um, those risk factors for mental health, um, social support can be a a buffer for those things. So I I guess my research and clinical work really motivated me to to do something for this population of kids. Another major influence was my experiences with youth mentoring. And I started mentoring youth back when I was a freshman at Skidmore College. This really was one of the, the most meaningful experiences I've had. It maybe truly kind of embrace this idea, the significance of social support and how um, people can play really important roles throughout your life and at different, at different times. Back then, having grown up doing a lot of outdoor stuff, um, much of what I did with these kids is, uh, was outdoors. So we were in a great area for doing kind of this hiking and, and um, in some cases paddling, being right next to Lake George. And so um, I would bring the kids up to, to Lake George. Oftentimes, we, we'd hike around in the mountains. We got lost once. And we made it back. It was later, much later than we thought we were going to make it back. Uh, we didn't have all trails back then. so. <laughs> and, and really, outside is where we got to know each other, uh, where we really formed bonds that we sustained through the years. Actually, to this day, actually, 23 years later, I'm still in touch with my very first mentee, um, wow. who That's is awesome. married. He has a daughter. Um, he actually lives in Connecticut. So uh, we'll hopefully we'll be seeing the family in the next few weeks. Uh, so it's been really good to see how he's grown up. That and not thinking too much about, yeah, not thinking too much about my age. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's turned out to be a great, great young man and father. So I guess when I think back, Many of my, my own important relationships growing up were initiated or, or strengthened in outdoor spaces as well, including, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fond memories with the family, camping or going on long hikes, as well as kind of scouting and, and, and where I met a bunch of my um, close friends to this day. Mm-hmm. I have a question. With, so it seems like there's three different themes that you're speaking about that got you to start YEP and got you on this on this journey of helping youth out in the first place is outdoor experiences, uh, experiences with youth, uh, youth education, and clinical psychology, which is what you do professionally. Is there a singular story that connects those three things for you that 
inspired you to start YEP or why you work with youth in general? Or are these separate experiences something that just kind of spurred YEP out of, out of nothing? I think the boundaries between my career and my personal life are, are really thin um, because of our, what I'm passionate about has to right. be, I guess, fortunate that I was able to build a career that aligns with, you know, what I think is important. And so I, I guess I have, you know, I'm fortunate to have different perspectives as a researcher. I'm, I'm studying and, and showing empirically that these, um, you know, the relationships between these things, adversity and mental health, how social support can buffer uh, adverse consequences. As a clinician, I'm working with, with patients who have been traumatized and, and I can make uh, an impact on, on kind of their ability to recover and, and reduce symptoms and, and live in a, a more fulfilling life. When I was a foster parent, I was, I was kind of living it. Um, you know, there, this was a kid who, who had some tremendous loss in his life and, and, and tremendous trauma. And, and, you know, I took that into my home. And so that gave me a different perspective, not a professional perspective. And, and the challenges of that were real for me doing mentoring was similar in that way. So I guess all of that made me realize that I, I want to make an impact for this population of youth who've had really tough things happen. I want to be guided by what I know works. And so I lean on the research for that. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, for me was about um, not only getting outdoors, which, which is beneficial and healthy in, in, in a number of ways, but also combine this, this idea of bringing this social support into these youth lives um, through mentorship and, and relationships that can be sustained through the years. A lot of these kids actually, having been in foster care, having gone through different programs, they, they participate in a program and then the program ends and, and the relationships end. Yeah. And I want something where the relationships could continue, maybe not in a formal way, but in a way that, you know, we're going to spend some time together and, you know, I'm going to be there as a resource to you, you know, later. And, and so I, one of the, the biggest things I strive to do with all the kids that, that participate in YEP is, is to stay connected. That is just such a tremendous, tremendous aspect of it, that continuity and experience expansion of the relationship outside of the direct program environment is I th that that has to make an absolutely it, it has to make a tremendous impact on the long-term success of, of the outcomes of the program it is really those stories that keep me you know keep me coming back keep me doing this and um you know i, I there's a number of stories i could tell you know kids who are adults now with their own families and yeah, it, it was, it's really been great to see kind of that personal growth, you know, through the years for them. Do you think that there is a sort of natural connection between getting these young men in nature, experiencing some planned adversity and the outcomes that you get? Absolutely. Yes. So um, we know that, you know, stress can be a, a really bad thing. Uh, especially stress that rises to the level of trauma. Mm -hmm. But that stress can be a good thing. You know, stress yeah. can motivate change. And, you know, certainly for these kids, you know, our trips aren't all 
you know, always a breeze, um, you know, four days in when you're, when you're hiking another seven to 10 miles, it's raining and, you know, you're, you're irritated with your peers. It's, it's not always a, a happy experience. Yeah. You're um, with a bunch of teenage boys. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so, but it's getting past that point. It's persisting past that point. It, they're, they're learning something about their ability to tolerate the stress in real life, which is important, how to regulate their, you know, self-regulate their emotions, their behaviors when they're feeling uncomfortable. And then kind of the secondary, you know, benefit of, of having accomplished that and then looking back and, and saying, hey, I, I did that. It was was hard, but mm-hmm. I did it. Why do you think there, or actually I should ask, is there a difference and why do you think there's a difference between putting you know, youth in a situation where there's planned adversity, right? Like outdoors versus their everyday life where they may have, or they may face adversities that are real and that require like real responses in their everyday. Why is it that their experience there and their responses there in their real life different than what you may see outdoors? Or is there a difference? If you think about, planned stress there's some control over that Mm. certainly in in our program you know we for hiking in maine we have to get from point a to point b there's not a a big choice once we're halfway through we have to continue on there's no other we're not going to stay there um so that element of control is is out but these kids are choosing to to do this program they're choosing to put themselves in a situation where there there are some challenges and so you know, they're, they're choosing that, you know, that level of, of stress and, and do have some, and we help them to take control of some of that and some of their own reactions, their own cognitions around that. Mm. And so that plans approach to facing challenge, accomplishing challenge is a little bit different from, you know, experiencing adversity when you don't have control over that. You're in a house your parents are, are fighting, maybe there's domestic violence. There's not much you can do about that, except you, you can leave the situation maybe in the other room. There's not much they can do about that. So it, it sounds like what you're saying is that sort of through the planned adversity, you're understanding different levels of how you can react to adversity, to stress in general. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to say that. It, it's it's really it's really practice. Actually, what I what I'm thinking about is some of the work I do in my clinic, where you know therapy is just that. Actually, we're introducing this thing that's that's going to be distressing, and that's that's challenging. Whether it's a kid who is depressed and is trying to avoid those ugly thoughts that of hopelessness and, and kind of uh, this, this negative self image, it's, it's kind of going there and talking about that, dealing with that for a kid who's um, traumatized, they're avoiding that trauma memory. And the more they avoid it, the more it kind of comes back. It's like, it's like you're throwing a racquetball against the wall. It's just going to bounce back and, and, mm. and kind of infect your day to day life. And so in therapy, what we're doing is we're creating a planned environment where they feel safe they're grounded they trust you and they can talk about and kind of revisit what happened activate that trauma memory and through that process gain control over Mm. more control over 
learn that 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 memory is not dangerous to them now learn that you know that memory is meaningful to their life but doesn't define them um and so a lot of that that work is about applying that that stressor that challenge but it's a means to an end xavier and i will be right back to continue our discussion with dr damian grasso of the connecticut youth excellence project but for now we'd like you to take a moment and learn about one of our biggest sponsors and friends Project Emo wouldn't be where it is today without the generous support of Pro Bono Partnership. Their team of experts helped us incorporate and gain charitable 501c3 status. At every step of the way, the volunteers at Pro Bono Partnership offered guidance and diligent counsel to help us grow in ways we never could have achieved on our own. Pro Bono Partnership is celebrating 25 years of providing free legal help to nonprofits in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. Founded on the belief that strengthening nonprofits will make stronger communities, the partnership's mission is to provide nonprofits with the legal advice and educational resources they need to build capacity, reduce risk, and enhance programming with confidence. The partnership services were never more critical than during the last two years, when the global pandemic led to shifting requirements for nonprofits and a greater need for services within communities. The partnership and its 1,400 volunteer attorneys were there to help providing 38,000 hours of free legal assistance to nearly 900 nonprofits, valued at $19 million in 2020. Pro Bono Partnership is also a nonprofit organization, and your support is what makes their mission possible. Learn more at probonopartner.org. From the perspective of a clinical psychologist, what are some of the benefits that you have seen with these programs, uh, running these programs with the youth? I've done some thinking about that because I figured you'd ask that question. There's different things actually that that I think are are really important. The first is disconnecting from technology that I believe that kids use to either purposefully or or non-consciously distract themselves from distressing memories or distressing thoughts. And so that these, these kids, well, I should say kids and adults, we all are, are really plugged in. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy if you're trying to avoid something just to scroll you know, on your phone through Facebook, go on TikTok, I guess, these days. And it's a way to temporarily avoid those thoughts, those, those memories. And so when we go out, you know, we, we put the phones aside, we put the technology aside, and it's, um, it is a way to unplug. It does force kids to then be, have to sit with some of those thoughts and those feelings that they've felt they had to avoid. You know, I think it can be uncomfortable for them, but it creates an opportunity to start to work through that. And so I think setting up this, that, that scenario where they're not going to be plugged in, instead they're going to be more present in nature, helps them to kind of you know, address some of those unresolved uh, issues that they've been carrying around with them. A second is kind of what we already talked about, this this planned stress or this challenge of, of having to work through something that's that's been really hard. And, and that is a way to kind of gain self-confidence, self-advocacy. I actually remember one kid, I don't know if it was my first or second year, really kind of an angry, came in as an angry kid. Uh, and he had reason to be angry. He was in, in foster care. He was in a foster home that wasn't really supportive, in, in my opinion, and, and had a lot of loss in his life. 
father died, mom had abandoned him and he was, he was an unhealthy weight. And so, you know, we were doing a lot of hiking and he would just be like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. He, he kept on coming back. Um, but he, he made it known that he mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And then by the time when we took the, the long trip th- that year, we went to the Channel Islands in uh, California. We were doing some hiking, but we had a base camp. We were doing some hiking around. He, um, you know, he, he had, he had shown uh, tremendous growth by that point, but on that trip, he, and he really bonded with, with another adult um, volunteer of mine. And he, he told him that he wanted to take a solo hiking trip. It was really important for him to take wow. this solo trip. And it was something we wouldn't ordinarily do. Uh, there's some risk involved in that, but on this, on the Island, we were able to kind of see even from a far distance where right. it was. So, so we let him do this and um, he did it and he came back and he was, he was just glowing. He was, you know, smiling ear to ear. He felt so accomplished. It was maybe, you know, one of the first times he's really able to, to take control of something in his life up at that point, mm-hmm. you know, everything's been controlled for him and it's been, you know, probably bad choices for him. And he, in this home, he, he's not feeling supported. Um, he's had a bunch of bad stuff happen in his life and his family. And so that, that was really, I think, you know, truly meaningful um, for, for him and, and really kind of shows that he, he was challenged and he, he worked, he worked through that and then chose to take the next step and, and, and do that solo hike. Mm. Do you think there's something in particular about green spaces that provides a different environment as opposed to a more formal therapeutic office or a group setting? Where you have folks that are that have some sort of trauma experience. I do. I wish that I could do all of my clinical therapy outdoors. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's so much. You know, there's many advantages. I think to okay. doing this work with kids outdoors um, for for these reasons. You know, I think some of the same elements appear. So one of the most important things in, in doing therapy and, and helping kids work through those distressing thoughts and memories is, is that therapeutic alliance, that relationship you have with them. You want to, you know, it, it's, it's special and you're kind of building this trust and, you know, with that trust, they're able to kind of face some of those fears and, and those distressing things. So we, we certainly strive to do that on, on these trips. And then, you know, this feeling of, of being safe. Um, mm. My office is, is pretty boring only because I'm used to, you know, working on the outdoors, but, um, you know, it's, it's a safe place, not going to get hurt in nature. We have, you know, I think you all, you know, this too, being kind of in nature, being surrounded by mountains, being on a river, it's peaceful, it's relaxing. So I, I, and there's research to support that it has an impact on, you know, your stress hormones, your, there's this, um, you know, feeling of being connected. And that also um, kind of aligns with our idea of mindfulness, which is kind of this idea of being present and, and in your environment, immersed in your environment. And it's, it's the foundation or, or at least a modality for a lot of the, the, the psychotherapies we do as well. Um, and so kind of being in the environment um, helps to foster you know, helps to foster that. And then there, there is, you know, there is a, a researcher actually 
at the University of California at Berkeley, who's been doing work on this, this emotion that he calls, calls awe, like this feeling of awe when you're in nature, and um, how it's kind of really an underappreciated emotion, and one that, you know, maybe may help facilitate some of those you know, some of those biological changes in our body to, to induce this, this feeling of relaxation. And, uh, and I just, I did write down some of his, some of the quotes. He was in a recent article in the Washington Post, and I thought these were poignant. Hmm. He says, it makes us curious rather than judgmental. It makes us collaborative. It makes us humble, sharing, and altruistic. Hmm. It quiets the ego so that you're not thinking about yourselves as much. So you're, again, this, this, hmm you know, Eastern philosophy, I guess, um, of, of being connected, being, being one in nature. Um, how do you find awe? You allow unstructured time. You wander, you drift through, you slow things down. You allow for mystery and open questions rather than test-driven answers. So mm. it's kind of, kind of not prescribing the experience, but putting yourself in that place and, and allowing yourself to grow and to get somewhere, somewhere new. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that being discussed more and more now, that, that concept of awe um, and that state of awe and the benefits of it. And I, I've definitely even I've felt it myself, too. Like, you know, you go out in the woods, I'm having some issues, I'm having some problems, I'm having this internal dialogue that is not helpful. And, and then I go out into nature and, and I just see the scope and expanse of it. And it helps me with a little bit of perspective. I'm like, yeah, this is something, my internal mind is something I can overcome. Because look at all of this. It's so huge and so vast. Right, right. It's kind of cathartic in a way. And I, I was kind of brainstorming too, thinking, yes, I, I, I felt that a number of times as well. And I've, I could think back when I was 11 on Mount Washington in New Hampshire and the sunrise and, and how that felt. Um, or, or many times when I'm out with Yep, um, where, you know, where, where something just strikes you and, and you kind of feel it. This, this uh, researcher, Dr. Keltner, is his name actually, um, he also, his research also suggests that being in nature, experiencing this feeling of awe actually um, relates to the brains with what's called the default mode network, which really just means all that stuff your brain is doing when you're, you're not telling it what to do, um, when it's at rest. And for some people, it's, it's a lot of worrying. It's a lot of, you know, bad stuff. And, and he's, he's done some work to show that this experience of being out in nature, immersed in nature, can you know can influence change in that, and also, like I said before, biologically can reduce inflammation, reduce the stress hormones, and of course um, relate to your mental health and well-being. Now, quick question on nature: Are we talking about going outside and you seeing a couple of trees, or a couple? like a, 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 an established garden, or are we talking about untouched, open, natural spaces? And the reason I ask is because how can we get students who, or youth who don't necessarily have access to going outside and seeing an acre of untouched land? How do they experience awe? How do they connect with nature? Is, like, is there hope through programs? like YEP or Project Demo, or are there other things that they can do when they step outside to experience the same sort of connection? A lot of, of what we do in YEP is kind of going in untouched uh, nature. Um, 
And so that I think is a certain level of immersing yourself in nature, but I, I don't want to undervalue what it can mean for some people to kind of step into their backyard and, and go into a garden or, or go into a community garden. Mm-hmm. Um, just walking out the door and experiencing the sunshine, those kinds of things are also influential. And for those people who may face real barriers to, to getting out into kind of the untouched areas of nature, mm-hmm. you know, the, that's, that's, you know, that's going to play a, an important role in their, their lives. We asked Damien about the structure of the Youth Excellence Project to help us understand the environment in which these young men are challenged to succeed. He described to us a long-term process where the group is established early on with a January orientation and becomes the cohort for the year. The group is introduced to the program goals and philosophies and begins this journey of exploring self and community. Throughout the next nine or ten months, the group engages in outdoor adventures such as hiking, camping, paddling, and team building. These adventures are often done in partnership with other organizations, such as another amazing Connecticut-based adventure organization, Outside Perspectives, or us here at Project Emo. The program progression is based largely on charitable donations of funding and time from the community. And through this monthly day and week-long event process, the cohort builds towards a week-long backpacking trip. In a few moments, we're really going to dig into a bit more about the goals of the program and how the Youth Excellence Project helps build resilience in the face of adversity. We'll also explore how they support these young men as they redefine masculine grit and explore healthy connections with their inner self and relationships with their peers. First, we'd like you to take a moment and get to know a little bit about Holiday Hill Day Camp and Recreation Center of Mansfield Center, Connecticut. Holiday Hill is one of our community partners that helps us provide not only this podcast content, but accessible programming for the YEP. There are just some places that when you walk around in the woods, it feels a lot like home. Holiday Hill Day Camp and Recreation Center in Mansfield Center, Connecticut is one of those places. For over 60 years, Holiday Hill has created a world of action and adventure where kids learn important social and physical skills in an atmosphere of encouragement, acceptance, and fun for everyone from ages 3 and a half to 14. They also provide a tremendous staff and training program, turning 9th and 10th graders into leaders through their NEST program. The skills and values young people develop within the growth zone created at Holiday Hill will help prepare them to face the challenges of building their best selves for life while meeting their need for adventure and social connection today. Holiday Hill also has a specialized program from our early elementary through middle schoolers called the Finches Program. The staff in this group employs strengths-based social skills groups that focus on children and teenagers with pervasive developmental disorder, Asperger syndrome, high-functioning autism, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and shyness. They use a fun, activities-based philosophy of practice rooted in dialectical behavioral therapy. If you want your young ones to have experiences that truly last a lifetime, go check out Holiday Hill Day Camp and Recreation Center in Mansfield. Trust us, so many here in our own Project Emo Village grew up there, worked there, and still call it home to this very day. Visit HolidayRecreation.com to learn more about their programs, activities, and to start what we promise will be an amazing adventure. It sounds like one of the major outcomes that you get with the students outside is sort of a building of a, a layer of mental toughness almost, like a, a bounce back ability. 
So I have a question regarding that, especially, you know, knowing that your work is with young men, bouncing back or being tough commonly for men is being impervious to being vulnerable. Like it's just, that's not what you do. And that's what it means to be resilient. That's what it means to be tough. Can you tell me like, what is your definition of resilience? And do you think that there's space for young men to understand that vulnerability may be the way that you sort of overcome these things? Or is it this just that you grind through one thing after the other and that's what makes you harder? So glad you asked that question. Such a good question. Um, yes, uh, it is. It's the grit you're talking about, and, right. and resilience. Uh, definition of resilience. Even the top experts on resilience don't agree uh, with the, with each other on, on exactly. <laughs> so now you have to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to solve that problem, but um, but you you touch on exactly what you know we do and don't want to do. So. These kids, many of them have grown up with this kind of unhealthy stereotype of masculinity that we need to be tough, that men don't cry, that, you know, nothing penetrates us, mm. that we're not vulnerable. And, and we want to undo that. We want to show that it is okay to be vulnerable as mm. a man. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, to share your vulnerability with other people. And, and that's okay. That, that shows that, that you're able to, you're, you're tough enough to, to do that. Um, so it's, it's redefining, I guess, their idea of what it means to, to be tough. And it's, you know, get, going back to the, the circle exercise and, and kind of being able to be vulnerable, whether it be on a rock face when you're climbing and feeling like you can't do it, and you're going to fall, or you're sitting around the group and you're sharing something that's very personal and, and you think others are going to judge you for, um, both of those are scary experiences right. and, and require you to, to be vulnerable. You know, some people think resilience is that, you know, you're, you're you face something really hard, trauma, adversity, abuse, and you're not affected by it, but that's, that's not true. That's a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, we're, we're all, we're human. We're, we're going to react negatively to those experiences. Resilience is, is the ability to kind of recover and overcome, you know, mm. long-term dysfunction through building on strengths. And we can't do that alone. We need, you know, we need a community to do that. That's the idea of resilience and, and, and grit and hardiness and, and toughness that we try to foster in the group. I remember, um, oh, I can't remember where, where it was. I think it was Maine, uh, where we were doing this circle, you know, exercise with the group from the get-go like we do. And, you know, we would facilitate group discussions oftentimes around the campfire kind of as a, as an end of the day, um, meeting and, and the adults would, we know the right things to say to get the discussion going. And this was the group where it was probably the toughest year, actually. The, the, this was the third or fourth day when, when we were hiking that fifth mile and, and the group just, we, we, it got really ugly. People were fighting, you know, nobody liked oh. each other. Nobody wanted to continue. People were, were wanting to, to get off the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, even I was like, oh, gosh, can we get through this? I don't know. Um, and somehow we did. We put one foot 
after the other and got through it. But what's what's most important, I guess, of, of that that memory is, and the last night of the trip, I'm you know cooking dinner with the outside perspectives crew. Normally, we would have the kids um, help prepare dinner, and and, and we weren't we, we were letting them kind of do their own thing uh, that night, and unprompted kind of spontaneously you know we're, we're we're just overhearing them they're they're by the fire and they're kind of putting some branches in the fire and getting it going and they're spontaneously starting to have a discussion about their past experiences of abuse and and mm. sharing their thoughts and memories of it and and of course we're you know we're we're thrilled because we did something right All right that's the <laughs> point right but you know we're monitoring to make sure it's it's appropriate and all but we're kind of getting in their space and, and it was just amazing to see that they were able to do this on their own and and valued it enough um that you know it was important for them to kind of have that closure um with mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. what do you think in that experience and like what's the lesson from that experience that can be expanded to any experience where you where you want you know youth on a group to then come back together even if they're already you know doing well as a group with all of the outdoor activities what's that lesson from that experience that we can take so i guess there's a couple things maybe you know this that showed me at least that if we provide youth with the tools that they might use those tools later on yeah and so it's important for us to kind of facilitate those discussions to get them there so that they're utilizing tools that they didn't think they were able to use before mm. and having some structured activities where we do that, like the circle activity. Mm. But it okay. also tells me that, and this is a lesson I learned over the years, that we can't be too prescriptive as group leaders. We sometimes have to let go of our kind of agenda to let these things happen. That was, mm. that was a hard lesson for me being, I wouldn't say a control freak necessarily, but I like to have <laughs> <laughs> So early on, I'm like, oh, every truth, minute of the trip, like, okay, now we're going to sit down and discuss what it means to be, you know, what mental health means or what it means to be healthy. So I had all those things kind of down the agenda. It was overwhelming. And then over the years, like, oh, no, I can't do that because you know, some, maybe the group's not ready to discuss that. Maybe mm. it's, it's going to take a, a little bit more time or, or a different thing comes up that I didn't have the agenda that is really important to address at that moment. Mm. So it's kind of letting go a bit of the structure and so striking a balance between that. Damien, thank you so much. We've explored, I think, a lot today, a lot of topics that that connect in some very critical and and foundational ways. Um, And it's just amazing that your holy volunteer group of mentors has helped so many teens over the years in such an intentful and very thoughtful program. And just thank you first for all that you're doing with these young men. Um, And how can our listeners learn more about Youth Excellence Project and how can they help? You can certainly feel free to reach out to me directly. I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect and, and talk more about the program or other opportunities. We definitely are on social media. You can see some of our past experiences and, and, and pictures of our trips um, on Facebook or Instagram. And we have a website as well that's currently down, but <laughs> I'm working to get it. 
Get back up again. <laughs> oh, what do what do the listeners look up uh, to support the site or on social media? What do they look up? Um, it's it's simply uh, CT Youth Excellence Project should be the I think is the handle for both for Facebook and Instagram. Got it. Um, and we would encourage folks to check it out and help in any which way you can. Damien, again, thank you so much. It's been absolutely amazing catching up with you today, and and thank you for sharing your voice with us uh, today. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening and for asking amazing questions and for doing this program to get the you know more information out to others. I think it's a great, great thing. That's it for this episode, Villagers. From everyone here at Project Emo, we'd like to thank you for taking this exciting learning journey with us. We covered quite a bit today with Damien Grasso, the founder of Connecticut Youth Excellence Project. We just can't thank him enough for the work that he's doing with these teens and for sharing his time and expertise with us today. And we certainly hope you got as much as we did as we explore the positive impact of these adventurous programs in nature upon youth who've been through some pretty adverse experiences in life. If you did enjoy it, consider subscribing to the podcast. If you really, really enjoyed it, hop on over to our website at projectemo.org and consider supporting our charitable efforts as every episode of this podcast is supported by listeners just like you. You can also get much more of the content of this episode in our benefactors backstage on Patreon. You can find out more about that on our website too and also on our Village Voices Facebook page. Uh, For now, folks, we're signing off Jay and Xavier and we hope that you have wonderful journeys wherever life trails take you.